Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 594 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. I got two questions for you, Joe. Are you ready to do a short show? And how are you doing? Uh, in no particular order, <laughs> bad and no. Okay. I can't figure out that code, if you will, Joe. Yeah. It's not like a can of, uh, you know, pork on a kiosk code, but it's code. I had a joke about that that I definitely couldn't have tweeted out. No, I had a few, too, that I kept to myself. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like that was a trap, is all I'm saying. You're right. Admiral Akbar's ground pork. Uh It's a trap. Now, I'm surprised you parked that far away from the comic book shop, not to give your, you know, geographical location, you know? Right, because I made sure there was a blur in the background that I knew you would know. Mm-hmm. And then even somebody mentioned that it was a there was a Thai place there, but uh, there was nothing on the other side of the street. So uh, usually I park right in front of the shop because the time I go, there's usually a lot of parking. But to give away my uh, my my routine on uh, certain days when I go to the comic shop, I go get my lotto tickets at the same time across the street <laughs> at uh, the news place where you know you can get certain magazines on layaway. Oh boy. I'm, I, you know, it does my heart good that those magazines are still for sale, you know? Yep, yep. All right. Well, what do we got on this show uh, this week, Todd? In news, art changes, DC's next big event, updates on comiXology, especially the fact that they don't like non-Americans, and also an update to, uh, to reschedule the Predator, if you will, Joe. Marvel announces a book combining uh, the feeling of a show I don't watch and a book Joe loves, so we'll talk about that. Um, Conventions, digital sales, what we read last week, which was both Maestro World War uh, M number one, um, Superman Son of Kal-El number eight, and what we are looking forward to this week, plus... The Battle for Second Place, a.k.a. the Silver Standard of Rogues Galleries, Todd's Art Attack. And at the end, we're going to have the best and the worst uh, post-credit scenes when we talk uh, spoiler-filled stuff with the final episode of Book of Boba Fett and the penultimate episode of Peacemaker. All right, I'm ready to go. All right, you start wherever you would like, Joe. All right, let's start right at the top. So uh artist greg smallwood who uh does art on uh human target right mm-hmm. uh so he had a story in a uh, recent electra book black white and blood uh that's you know we we talked about the uh red sonia one a couple months ago right where they were you know these these books are doing like black white and red for whatever reason like apparently it sells there's enough of them doing it you know right because i think there's a harley there's a wolverine there's the red sonya like you said in this one now yeah um so he very long story short uh he submitted his art um and marvel sent it back asking that they wanted him to fix some of the panels before sending it to the printers um and it was two months after he had turned them in. Uh, he was in the midst of, I guess, dealing with some family issues, I guess. Um, his kid was about to be born or something, so he didn't have time to get back to them immediately. He said, well, then just pull the story or whatever it is if it's going to be too much of an issue. And they went ahead and altered his art, right? Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes it was just things as silly as like maybe putting a little bit more hair to cover up something that might be a little bit more risque or shrinking a panel for some reason. But there was two instances specifically where they altered the eyes on an Asian character, Mm -hmm. Um, possibly to make them look less Asian for some reason. I don't know. Um, But I'll say this. I'm kind of torn in regards to this, especially if you work for, you know, one of the big two companies. I don't know how this all works. If you're a contract person or if it's work for hire, I'm assuming it's work for hire, but. You know, I assume once you submit your art, they could pretty much do whatever they want with it. Yes, because I like and other people did it online. It's not like this is my my idea. When Jack Kirby came over to DC from Marvel in the 70s and he did Superman, pal, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, they had Kurt Swan redraw the faces because they didn't like Jack Kirby faces because they wanted Superman to be on brand. And I'm like, if they're going to redraw Jack Kirby they're going to redraw anybody. You know what I mean? So um, I, I saw it and I looked at it and I, the the scuttlebutt that I hear was like, oh, that they felt it looked too like racist or something yeah, like yeah. that. So they wanted to make it look less racist. And then like the, the masses were like, you made it look more racist. I think that's all wacky. I look at the before and the after and what it made it look like to me it was I, whether it was more or less racist. It looked like that. You know that movie where all the little blonde kids are like they're staring at you and they're all spooky and stuff. Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn or whatever. It was an old classic movie too. The, it, the, the 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 new artwork. The kid looks possessed. That's my takeaway from the 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 the, the what it looks like the after photo. Yeah, whatever the intent was, they made the art look bad. Hmm. You know, whatever racial connotations there may or may not have been, you know, let's take that out. They essentially ruined this guy's art. Mm -hmm. So if you've never seen Greg Smallwood's art and you see this, now granted it's not like these huge things, but you're going to be like, oh, this guy doesn't know how to draw eyes. Or like, why is his panel spacing so weird? You know, like, it's going to raise more questions than there should be. I agree. But, you know, like... The other stuff that he has shines through. And the movie that you may have heard of was called Village of the Damned. Village of the Damned, yes. There was lots of spooky children movies uh, in the 70s and 80s. Right. So this was the 60s, I believe. Was it a George? Either way, it doesn't matter. But that's what it looks like to me. So my only thing is, you know, at least with the case that we're presented with here, Marvel reached out to him saying, we would like you to make these changes. Mm-hmm. But at no point did they say, if you don't, we're gonna. Right. Because that's what he said. He was like, they didn't say they were going to change. Them. Yeah. Because I told them to pull the story. They did it. I didn't find out till it came out. Now they're saying that in the uh, any reprints and or digital that the changes will be made back to the original or whatever. So okay. I don't know. But you know what? Now everybody knows about this book, Joe. Yeah, you know, and maybe there'll be like a big secondary market for the two different versions, right? Oh, CGC them. Mm-hmm. If I was more of a conspiracy theorist, I would say that there's much something much bigger going on here, but I'm not. I just definitely think that this is like editorial not doing a good job of expressing what they want done or how they need it done. Right. And usually this seemed to be like a DC thing, mm-hmm. but, you know, now, hey, it looks like Marvel can screw up too. Hey, speaking of DC things... Uh, they announced their big summer crossover, 
uh, written by Joshua Williamson, who seems to be like kind of, uh, you know, positioned to be a big cheese over at DC. He's getting a lot of big stuff. You know, he just recently got Batman, amongst other things. Uh, he and Daniel Sampier are going to be doing the art. They're going to do a free comic book day thing. And Todd, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Here we are some 36 years later, and it's a DC crossover that has Crisis in the title. Ugh. And a rumor has it it's tied to an Alan Moore idea, so that's really good. And uh, lots of lots of fun stuff. I, I, I'm, I'll let you get into it, but go ahead. No, that's really all I got to say. You know, uh, you know, I like Josh Williamson. I don't love Josh Williamson. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really love the big event books. You know, give me like the second or third tier book, like event books, at least at DC. You know, I've been out of a DC event book. I think the last one I probably did was like the Grant Morrison Final Crisis one. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember if I was in on anything since then. But my thing is, like, when I got the premise, it's like, you know, from the beginning of time, this mysterious, the great darkness has been, you know, pulling the strings of the DC universe. And I'm like, wait a minute, wasn't that Dr. Manhattan like a few years ago? And then before that, it was Superboy Prime punching the wall. And somebody said this on a message board. I can't take credit for it. When I read the story, it was like, there's so many p- people pulling the strings before time started at DC. You think they should be falling all over each other. And I was like, that is kind of true. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know if I need another crisis book, a big tie in. Um, maybe I'll just read my little books that can if you get my meaning. And But whatever. We'll see. How interesting it looks, but yeah, you know, I'll get the free comic book day thing. Yeah, and that'll... if that's and that should be good enough of a hook to hook us or at least other people, you know. Right. If that don't prime the pump, then I don't know what to tell you. Right. Exactly. Uh, so another book Todd mentioned here. Um, after whatever the big and again, I don't even want to say big uh, Marvel event, but the Devil's Reign stuff that's going on. Uh, they are going to be doing a new Thunderbolts book uh, mm-hmm. written by Jim Zub with Hawkeye at the helm. And it looks like a mix of young heroes. Maybe there's runaway types, young Avengers types. Uh, but the pitch for this is uh, Ted Lasso meets the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And Todd, I don't know who no Ted Lasso is. I know of the show. I've never watched it. All I know is Jason Sudeikis, uh, who's the star of the show, uh, was the character on 30 Rock, Floyd DeBarber. Mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, so if it's anything like his appearances on 30 Rock. <laughs> wow. But no, I again, it's a Hawkeye-led book. It's Thunderbolts on the title. I'm going to give it a whirl. I got to bring it up. Um, you know, uh, is it Spectrum, the new younger power man that was introduced in like the last Luke Cage mm-hmm. Iron Fist book? I don't know who Persuasion is and uh, some new characters as well. Um, right. yeah, you know, and they're and they're hinting that maybe one of the new characters yeah. might be, you know, like the old switcheroo, like the original event or the original Thunderbolts from all those years back when. Right. Well, I'll say this. 
that's the one thing that I do worry about because because of what that was, I feel like sometimes, like back in the day, the original Thunderbolts, I know you know a little bit more about it than I do, um, that whole like uh, comic gotcha, if you will, that I feel like they pigeonhole themselves in. They have to do that when they do Thunderbolts occasionally. Occasionally. And I'm like, mm, don't just do your Thunderbolt story. Don't worry about getting me. Don't, you know, M. Night Shyamalan me. Whatever you're trying to do. Just is, do is doing the Thunderbolts gotcha 25 years on more or less egregious than Blank Crisis 36 years on or whatever it is with DC? It's more egregious. More? Because, yes, because at least, at least it's the same way. That is a title that has cachet where uh, like it's the same thing with secret invasion or uh, secret wars or anything at Marvel, like the Thunderbolts. Yes. Was, was a, a sensation with the twist, but come on, like to, to compare Thunderbolts to either uh, uh, secret wars or crisis as a name, th that is like third tier at best. See, I feel it's harmless. Um, unless as you mentioned, and I think we're on like, if I was to guess we're on our seventh Thunderbolts relaunch, I guess more, but go ahead. Well, let me look. Let's you know, we're talking about it. Let's look right right now. Cause like, it depends on whether you're going to, cause I'm going to go with legacy number. I'm counting any mini series or like ongoings, like that one that they just had recently last year. Like it was a three-parter that's like volume, whatever, probably. So, see, the way that I'm looking at this is, is like, right, so anytime that there was a quote-unquote new number one mm -hmm. is what I'm looking at here. So, Bear with me one second as I'm looking. No problem. And by the way, the title, if it's going to be uh, of it, should be Thunderbolts, Ted Lazo of Truth. No, I think yeah. that's copyright infringement. Like, right. cross. Okay. So... Okay. Second, third. Okay. Now, again, you're counting like any time that they did like any sort of miniseries at all, right? Right. Because they usually, don't they usually call that like volume, whatever, even though it's a miniseries? Well, so yes and no, right? So, like, technically, there's like two different miniseries is that were crossovers with the ongoing Thunderbolts title that was currently running. Okay. It was just like, hey, we're going to do an Avengers crossover. It's in the Thunderbolts book. It's in the Avengers book. And then we also have this four-issue miniseries. Okay. So I'm not counting stuff like that. But I will count, like, Civil War Thunderbolts, right? Fear itself Thunderbolts. King and Black Thunderbolts. New Thunderbolts. Secret Invasion Thunderbolts. Shadowland Thunderbolts, you know, that sort of thing. Siege Thunderbolts. Yes. So those I'm counting, okay? And then the current one, so this is where we run into a problem with the, the naming conventions of it. You know, like, um, the current one that's out now, the Devil's Reign one, mm -hmm. is technically called Devil's Reign uh, Villains for Hire, but technically it's a Thunderbolts book. Right. Because it's they're called the Thunderbolts in the crossover. So listen, I'll say it's like an even 10. Okay, fair enough. That's the over. That's too many. <laughs> Definitely. It's not, you know, I bet you Suicide Squad has way more. <laughs> so. Yes. 
but Suicide Squad is, you know, the Thunderbolts done right. Huh. So. Well, well again, um, <laughs> uh, I'll give you this one, too. I'm not as... You're not going to stretch out the show. No, I got no, you. no. I've already stretched it out looking up Thunderbolt analogs, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, just follow-ups from stories that we've done here previously. Uh, update on the Predator book. Um, you know, we talked about how the hardcover collections were supposed to be coming out like June, July. But then looking at the Amazon listings, they were saying September. Mm-hmm. So now, because that's September, they're speculating that since that's now moved to September, maybe the new book will be out in September. We have no proof of anything. It's just more mindless speculation. Uh, that book will come out this year, maybe, right? Yeah, that's the new uh, Doomsday Clock, Joe. Yeah. An issue has to come out first. Right. I, don't know, I like the... betting on whether it will come out or not. But no, I get you. No, I, I gave up that ghost. I think I have a sheet of paper with some bets that we never followed up on somewhere around here. No, I know we got a gumroad thing we got to look up eventually. But go yeah. Uh, last but not least, uh, we talked about the changes coming to Comixology. Uh, those changes are coming this week. Um, and apparently, if you are a non-U.S. person, uh, you can no longer set up subscriptions for books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple books that are digital only. That I get digital only. They come out very infrequently. They're a buck. I like to support the creator. I usually get an email about a day or two before the book comes out and just saying like, hey, this book is going to come out on Wednesday. Your payment method is going to be charged Wednesday morning. Uh, If you want to continue the subscription, please do. Um, And obviously I could see folks that are digital only people that kind of, you know, rely on those subscriptions. And now that's just not even an option. Right. And also with creators, that's almost like, you know, sign up for it and forget about it. You know what I mean? Like where it'll be, okay, I'm going to get it. Hey, who knows? I may not read it for eight months, but that money's going in a creator's pocket where it's like now that person might forget or whatever. So, you know, that's, that hurts them. Um, Like I said, it doesn't affect me one because I don't do digital comics Two, I live in America, but uh, yeah, I get it. Why, you know, especially the creators would be unhappy. Now, I'll say this to uh, any of our non-U.S. listeners out there, and I don't even know if if this would work, but this is something that you can roll the dice on. Um, If you're familiar with VPNs, uh, I'm not, but apparently a VPN can trick uh, your IP that you're in a different country. Mm -hmm. You know, I know people use them to get, like, the, like, Canadian Netflix exclusives or to get the R-rated movies that aren't on the U.S. Disney Plus and things like that. Right. Um, but I wonder if as a non-U.S. citizen, you could use a VPN to tell Comixology that you're in the United States and be able to get your subscription still. That might be able to do it, but I don't know nothing about no VPN. To yeah. me, that's the station above UPN on my gotcha. channel, so I don't know. And then apparently, I guess, and it's not for every book, somebody pulled up specifically the J.H. Williams Batwoman book. Mm-hmm. And usually the books, when you would access it through the web viewer, which is going to be the only way that you could access the books going forward, uh, for the most part, you could do like a guided view where it takes you like panel by panel by panel. Right. And then if there's a big splash page, it'll blow the whole thing up. Well, apparently when it gets to that blow the whole thing up, it doesn't fill your entire window. It just kind of fills like a little like four by six square in the middle of your browser. Right. 
So, uh, and people were like saying like, oh, well, it worked with this book, but not with this book. Obviously, the most egregious would be those J.H. Williams Batwoman books, like which are beautiful books. You'd want to see like that full screen on however, whatever device that you're looking at that on. So, you know, I only mentioned this to our digital folks, our digital overseas folks. Be ready for some changes. You know, this is the podcast that not only asks a lot of questions, but also loves change. So, you know, that's us batting down the hatches, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, there are some conventions this weekend, Todd. Oh, OK. Uh, one, we've got the Fan Expo Vancouver uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and this is a biggie, right? Uh, on the art side, we got Ken Lashley, Brian Stelfreeze, Yannick Paquette. Where have you gone? I haven't seen uh, Paquette do anything lately. I don't know what he's up to. Might be doing like, you know, uh, artwork in magazines and stuff like that. I haven't seen him in comics either that I know of. Sure. Uh, Ed Brisson and Pia Zagara. Uh, Pia, Pia Guerrera. Listen to me messing things up. I almost double messed that up. Ooh, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Shatner is going to be there. And then the entire cast of Clerks 3 is going to be there. Not us, though. Not us, right. So if you're going to do the uh, Navy SEALs opportunity, avoid Vancouver this weekend. <laughs> right. And, of course, if Shatner's in Vancouver, that means that at Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida, that's where you can find George Takei. Uh, you can also find Michael Rooker, uh, Judge Reinhold. Oh, good for him. Uh-huh. Alex Winter. Oh, was he the other half of uh, Ted and Bill? That's right. John Barrowman. I know who that is. Right. Ruby Soho, named after the fav- famous song. Ruby in the Sky with Diamonds? No, the, the song uh, Ruby Soho by Rancid, maybe? Somebody will correct me. If you say so. And uh, you can get the photo op, again, maybe not as uh, high as like the Daniel LaRusso Sensei Lawrence one, but uh, I think you'd be a fool not to get the double photo opportunity with uh, Farouk and Bradshaw. Oh, do they have the fake door frame there? I, and again, if they like making money, they will. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, Ron Simmons will just have, you know, he ain't he ain't whipping out the Farouk helmet. You know, he'll be wearing an APA shirt. He'll say damn or whatever it is. But uh, if I'm JBL, I'm doing I'm doing John Bradshaw Layfield with like the, the J.R. Ewing look. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go put on like a wig and a whatever, so I look like Justin Hawk uh, Bradshaw, and then I'm gonna put on the APA shirt and get like the triple photo opportunities off people. Okay, two things. Yes, the door frame they need, and then you should be able to sit at the t- poker table holding cards with them. You you like you sell that with like a case of beer, like. Oh my God, like there's your thing. And then the one where he's uh, Boss Hog JBL or whatever. J.R. Uh, Ewing. J- uh, J.R. JBL. Ewing? Yeah, yeah. Where, where you both, in the t- the opportunity, you flick your lanyard, your, your, uh, your t- it's not a ticket so much as a piece of plastic. Oh my God, that's fantastic, right? Right. Now. He'll do the ticket flicker thing with you, mm-hmm. but you got to supply your own ticket. Right. But like whatever that is, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, you get the plastic ticket that you hang around your neck. That's what you'll be flicking, I guess. Whatever, there's lots of money to be made with APA. Okay. 90 bucks. Would you do it for 90 bucks? Now, uh, the picture with the with playing cards with them? 
if they were in like full APA regalia, the door, like I would settle for like them in APA shirts with the door. Right. I don't even need to sit down at the poker table, right? Oh, that would be my dream though. Right. See, that's a good one. See, look at me. I can make money for for wrestlers. And then uh I think like they have individual prices, but 90 bucks for the two of them. I don't know. That's that seems not too shabby, you know? Mm. The Mean Street Posse would probably be $300 then. And I'll say this, and this is not a knock on uh, Farouk, Ron Simmons, by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, um, you know, he is, and where's Jibbles here again? There he is. Jibbles? Yeah. So oh, JBL, gotcha. Yeah. So it's $90 for the two of them. It's 50 bucks individually. So you might as well save 10 bucks. Yeah, right? So you'd be losing money if you just went and got the single picture. Um, <laughs> that's how, that seems, seems like a, a logic a toy buyer would use. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, And again, not a knock on Ron Simmons by any stretch of the imagination. But JBL could probably charge more than 50 bucks. Yeah. Solo picture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He had a longer sustained run on national television during a, you know, a hotter period of time than... Ron was, you know, um, right. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's, uh, you know, that's a good deal if you're in the Pensacola area, right? Yep. Too bad it wasn't Scranton. Yeah. So the links to that will be in the show notes, of course, and we're going to compress this soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com. You know, all the shows, you know, all the names, Akira Tetsuo, <laughs> anytime any of the shows go up, they're going to be up on uh, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, Kevin Hellion's MassLibrary.com, Rick Williams the Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. After we're done recording tonight, I gotta update their link so they actually work with the new Comicsology. Oh. <laughs> if you want uh, more comic books, uh, you don't have a comic book store in your area, or you don't have a good comic book store in your area. Let our comic book store be your comic book store. Comics on the Green. Check them out. Always having sales. They have a great uh, mail order subscription service. And uh, if you are one of those mail order subscription folks, you might even get a fancy sketch from our good friend Becky uh, on the package that gets sent to you. And you can go check out her social media for all of her process on all the stuff that she's doing. Mm -hmm. Digital sales. Uh, Marvel put up a ton of new ones, uh, Iron Fist, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Empire, uh, X-Men, Dawn of X, um, a lot of holdovers from the last couple of weeks, whether it be the IDW Transformers one, the Image 30th Anniversary one, um, all the Black History Month sales are still going on, and DC is having a sale on Sandman-related stuff that runs to the end of the month. Right. And again, as a just-asking-question sort of guy... I don't know of any new Sandman book that's coming out. <laughs> DC don't typically do no sales that go longer than a week. I don't know. Maybe there might be some Sandman news coming soon. Could be. I don't know nothing. I'm just a judge, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into what we read from this past week, and uh, I'll let you start, Todd. I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was uh, Maestro World War M. By Peter David, and I don't have the artist in front of me. 
Um, but I'll get uh, it in a second. Uh, Germaine Perlata. Yes. Nice. And then the uh, second feature was by Pascal Ferry. Right. Um, so basically, uh, this this is about the abomination uh, who was in a uh, tank that where the maestro was earlier in the miniseries is that they had done um, being controlled by aim and Modoc. And after maestro had defeated Dr. Doom in the last uh, miniseries, he decided to wipe out some other rivals and he decided to blow up the place that held him uh, not knowing that they had the abomination there. So he ends up getting out um, and he's walking across the country trying to figure out what's going on, like what happened to the world because it's post-apocalyptic. He ends up getting attacked by some Atlanteans um, and he ends up uh, hooking up with a certain submariner guy. I don't want to give it to him. Well, you get what I mean. But he ends up like talking to him about what's going on with the maestro and everything like that. Um, so they're going to kind of team up and go after him. And uh, then, like you said, there's a a feature at the end that they send somebody uh, to tussle with the maestro from the Submariner's past. Um, it's a very simple book, as these maestro stories have been. They're not, like, deep in, like, lore or past or whatever. They're very easy, very, like, you know, snackable comic books, if you will, Joe. Sure. Um, I, I like them. They're fun. I'm a fan of the maestro. They, you know, they do it. They, they do what they say, and I enjoy them. If you have a passing knowledge of the future uh, Imperfect storyline from the 90s, mm-hmm. and this is the third of three miniseries it is, and I feel as though this does a pretty okay job of getting you up to speed. Like, is it more rewarding if you read the two previous miniseries? Absolutely. Is it more rewarding if you read Future Imperfect? Absolutely, again. But if you just read this, you get a complete story. Yep. And that's the most important thing that a comic can do, and that is something that a lot of these, and I hate to say old writers, but, you know, guys have been writing since the 80s and 90s that are still kicking around today, that they know how to both write for the single issue and write for the trade, where a lot of times some folks could only do one or the other. Yep, and Peter David's an old hat. He knows how to do both, so. Exactly. Uh, But uh, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was saying Future Imperfect might have been Almost thirty years ago this year, Joe. Uh huh. I was just I was say. thinking that I was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. Go sign up to the uh, patreoncom slash heroes for previewing the past, and mm-hmm. you know we're in 1992. This is the time for comics, right? Yep. Uh, so the other book uh, that Todd uh, picked for us to discuss is Superman: Son of Kal-El number eight, written by Tom Taylor with art by Cian Tormey. Um, so this is, and I don't want to discredit, of course, what Tom Taylor is doing with this book, but this issue is part of a bigger storyline that's kind of just going through the book with, like, no really, like, it doesn't say, like, part one of two or part six of whatever, right? Mm. But I feel as though this issue could have been its own separate issue as well and worked just as well, um, you know, standing on its own. It's a story of, you know, Jonathan, you know. Superman currently uh, having to face a giant sea creature that's going to be attacking the city and he needs to make the decision to save the people or kill the creature, right? Mm -hmm. And if there's your option A and your option B, he chooses option C. Yes. 
Um, and then he has to kind of deal with the repercussions of that. And again, I don't want to give away too many spoilers uh, in regards to what happens there. But if you're aware of what a Superman character is and can be, then you could probably figure it out without me giving it away. Because, you know, we both read this book. We both really like this book quite a bit. But obviously the greater overarching story that's been going on since issue one with this is uh, Henry Bendix, the guy who runs Gamora with two M's. I believe so. Um, this was more or less him setting up all these little situations for Jonathan to not be able to prove himself as a worthy superhero to defend people, essentially so he could roll out his own mind-controlled superhero group uh, that are essentially drones that, for sure, nothing will go wrong with. Right, which kind of tie into the group of characters being created in, in Tom Taylor's Super Suicide Squad run. Remember, they were creating you know, super powered people and that. So they're a part of that. But the other thing that I, I felt interesting is like this, this literally would have been a 5g book. You know what I mean? Like, because it's got super Superman, son of Kal-El, you know, J Jonathan Kent. And then it's got uh, the, the aqua lad who would have been Aquaman. And I don't know. It's just, I just feel like this was done properly. Um, I wouldn't want to see it overall throughout like the universe, but stuff, but I'm like, oh, okay. In a, in a world where I know the old heroes are going to come back. I don't mind it so much, but right. I don't know. It just, I was the whole time I was reading this. I was like, this is what 5g would have been. So. Um, but again, if this was 5g and it was kind of rolled out in the way that the plan was, I don't think it would have been the end of the world because this is a really good book. Yeah, but I don't think, uh, you know, 20 titles would have been this good, too, you know? Sure. Well, that's – and right, and that's the thing. When you roll out a line like this, and, you know, we talked before on – you know, we'll mention it here with Previewing the Past. Like, late 90, 91, DC tries to roll out, like, what was it? Like, the, the Archie characters is, like, the shield is, like, a separate superhero universe. Right, the Crucibles or something yeah. like that. And they have, like, a young Mark Wade as the writer. They've got all these creative teams on them. And then, like, a month later, there's just, like, no mention of them. Right. Because they tried to roll out, like, seven books at once. Mm -hmm. Whereas DC doesn't do anything, um, you know, on the half, they're going to do it the whole way. It's either we're going to roll out one book that gets lost in the shuffle, or we're going to do an entire line-wide line launch of 52 new books. Mm -hmm. So everything gets lost in the shuffle. There's a way to do it, and I just don't think, like, after however many years it's been, DC knows how to do it. Right, but let me ask you an honest question on that. Okay, so, you, you, you think that, they, that that it should roll out. It shouldn't be, 50, obviously it shouldn't be 52 books, but I get what you're saying. But don't you think that people are more hardwired to be like, no, I want my Bruce Wayne, I want my Clark Kent, I want my Barry Allen, I want my Hal Jordan. So if they have to go up against these classic characters, unless you have like the biggest of the big creators, they're going to lose every time. You know what I mean? Unless they can get that buzz. You know what, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, Oh, who wants this new stuff when I, when I can have my Batman. Right. So where I would kind of like lean there is, um, you know, obviously there's a way to do it. And like I said, I'm not a marketing person. I'm not a creative person by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a way to do it where you do it as your seven books. Like let's say you do it as like your seven main justice league types. Right. Mm -hmm. 
and you do your OG Hal Jordan, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Diana Prince, whatever. And then you do like their new 5G analogs right alongside them and let the market decide. You know, don't short shrift either book. If you're going to spend a nickel to promote the Batman book, spend a nickel to promote the Batwing book, you know? I'm with you, and I've seen – now, th- this isn't DC, but I've heard, like, the editors at Marvel say that. Like, when they would put, like, Falcon in the Captain – like, as Captain America, Cap Falcon, whatever you want to call him, and they would put it in, they would kind of be like, we can't have a Cap bo- – like, we you can't put out Captain America proper with Falcon and put out a Steve Rogers book with a shield – with a weird name because the, the weird name book with Steve Rogers, the shield will outsell Falcon as captain America. If, if that's what I'm saying, then that's usually the way it goes, but I'm with you. Let the market decide, but yeah. you usually it always leans towards that, that legacy character, man. Uh, I say, why not give it a try? What would it hurt? You know, if you're doing seven books, mm-hmm. Have a have a plan of if it goes six issues, have a plan if it goes twelve issues, and have a plan if it goes two years. Right. And come down with that A to B plan and say we're gonna definitely give these books six issues to sink or swim on their own creative merit. And you wanna use sales as the metric, you wanna use uh cr- you know, uh critical buzz as a metric, you wanna use both as a metric. Mm-hmm. There's something in there to be done if you want to introduce new characters into the DC universe. Like, I know there's been a bunch of ads, or any of the big two universes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been ads in the new uh, DC books for some sort of, like, Monkey King book or something. Right. And I'd sit there and i look at look at that, and I'm like, this is like a cold character being introduced in ads with, as far as I know, like, no backstory, no origin, no history, no nothing. So, like, even if this is the best book in the world, it's going to fail just because no one knows what it is. Well, to be fair, he did appear before. Okay. All right. I, you don't know about it, so that's bad marketing. Right. But he, he appeared in one of the anthology books that, like, one of those 999ers that I kind of dropped off on. Oh, sure. Okay. But I think he has something to do with like like you know uh an eastern religion or something i don't know or myth or folklore and there was something they were doing with that and they put in it and now he's getting his own thing so i'm like all right at least they they went into it uh with something but if you don't know about it then the marketing didn't do their job exactly but obviously i didn't mean to get off on a uh, whole thing about how 5g should have been done (laughs) right um, but that's what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, be ready for that. Hmm. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is in the lead by one correct guess over me, and uh, since he started the show, he gets to take the first crack at it. I'm looking over your list, and is the book you're looking forward to most Nightwing 89? It is Nightwing 89. Uh, There's a bunch of middle books, uh, middle runs sort of things. 
that are coming out, but this is um, Superman and Dick Grayson together, and those stories are typically pretty good all the time. Yep, written by their Tom Taylor, who writes both of those books. So exactly. Looking over your list, uh, I am going to guess the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week. And again, shot in the dark. You have a lot of stuff, a lot of weird stuff. Hmm. Um, I'll say Fantastic Four number forty. It is not okay. It is also Nightwing 89. There you go. Just for the fact that, like, I like everything that they've done. He does Superman right, and now Nightwing's kind of... Like, Superman was the was the mentor to Night Nightwing. Now Nightwing has to be the mentor to Superman's son. I like, and I think Tom Taylor will do a great job with that. Absolutely. So uh, you're continuing your lead here. Now all I have to do is just lie for the rest of the year and win. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, but also keeping along, keeping up to date with the silver standard to see who <laughs> the second best rogues gallery in all of comics is. Obviously, The Flash is number one. Uh, we're trying to see who number two is. I think it's Spider-Man. Todd thinks it's Batman, and uh, the results are in, and it's getting closer, Todd, right? Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm not fudging any of the numbers. I'm just kind of laying things as they as they be, uh, you know, with a uh, friend of the show, Grinch McScrooge, who put the uh, spreadsheet together for us. But Masquerader moves on in the tournament. I really right. thought it was. I had people defending Moreland in my uh, direct messages and texts, just so you know. Right. See, Masquerader was tailor-made to move on, Joe. Yuck. And also, Moreland, more like Less Learned. So, these are all my joke writer's jokes, Joe. Moreland? More like Borland, right? There you go. Al Borland from Tool Time? But anyway. All right. So, next up, I'm going to let you go first, because I feel as though I went first last time. Uh, It's time for you to defend uh, your pick for this week. Right. So my character is the legendary killer moth, Joe. You know, all those moths that are actually killers. So uh, the story, he first appears in Batman 63 way back in the in the olden time days. And he was a convict who was in jail who uh, he's prisoner 234026. And that's all we get. He gets a an alias later but uh, i guess they've like retconned it and they've there's been multiple killer moths but he's obsessed with batman and he clips magazines he sees the bat plane and the utility belt and all the interviews with batman so he decides when he gets out of jail so he's free and clear now he's like literally they say years have passed and he gets to go out and he's like oh now i know what to do my first move is to become cameron van clear then He uses all the loot that he used before he went into jail to buy a mansion, to build a cave, to buy a moth mobile, to buy a moth plane, to make a moth laboratory in the moth cave and do all this stuff so he could be the anti-Batman 
and he goes around helping criminals, and he's going to have a trophy room, and he has a crime lab, but it's not to detect crime, it's to make crime impossible to solve. Um, this seems like a lot of work to get paid by other criminals when you have the scratch in your pocket. And he goes off and becomes Killer Mop, which is just a cheap, not even a copy in an A. He's like, just like, he's Xeroxing the third Batman down. Like, I don't even know what to say. It's absolutely terrible. He has a hot mesh gun, which sounds like close to what the character is, which is a hot mess. Um, just <laughs> All around, he has a moth signal. Like, he looks ridiculous. Like, killer moth. Like, get out of here. You're a moth. Like, you don't even instill fear. You know what you instill fear in? Sweaters. That's what you instill fear in. So, I will disagree with you. Um, well, before we get into any of that, I have to put my person over. And mine is technically Dr. Octopus 2, uh, a.k.a. Lady Octopus. Uh, who you, uh, listeners, would know through our journey through the Clone Saga last year, the Spider-Clone Saga, excuse me, there's multiple Clone Sagas now. Um, <laughs> she is the daughter of Seward Trainer, who was Ben Riley's friend, who was also a scientist, who was blackmailed into all the Clone Saga nonsense that we all enjoyed so much in 2021. She's the lady version of an already popularized established Spider-Man hero and the added cherries on top of this, you know what Sunday are. She only appears in the clone saga and never anywhere else. And the second one is a good part of her powers and abilities or some things deal with 1996's version of what virtual reality is. So if that's not trash, I don't know what is. I don't know. I think a stupid moth version of Batman is pretty bad. I will say Killer Moth has an iconic look. You see that character and you know exactly who and what it is. I'm not saying you say it's good or bad, <laughs> but it's recognizable. And it's a character that still gets tons of play in all Batman media to this day. As a joke, as a I lame joke. Sure. I wasn't laughing when he held up that uh, high society ball in the beginning of Josh Williamson's run. But that wasn't, was that him? Yes. I think that was a fake killer moth. Wasn't that the fire guy that did that? Oh, fire that's right. Fly? It might have been Firebog. Oh, yeah. Firefly, See, yes. that's what you're doing. You're confusing. You can't even remember who this character is, Joe. You're like, yeah, remember that really cool character that wasn't the character Todd's talking about? I still say he has an iconic look, and uh, I still think he has a redemption arc in him, not unlike Kite Man. Uh, there is no redeeming anything that's come out of the Clone Saga. Um, other than Norman Osborn, but uh, I don't he know. He was there I, before the Clone Saga. Right, and he, he's, he's all right as a villain anyway. But uh, I don't know. Lady Ock, she seemed, she seemed nice. And then she, wasn't she in uh, Spider-Verse? As different. No, so, okay, there was a Lady Ock, but it was not Seward Trainer's daughter. It had nothing to do with virtual reality. It had nothing to do with the Clone Saga. It was Lady Ock 2, which in turn is like Dr. Octopus 4. Oh, my God. So how many arms is that at that point? Well, it's still the same amount of arms. It's just, you know, what they could do. 
Right. I don't know. Moth for the win. We'll see. Yeah. I have a feeling I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, skate again here, but we'll see. I say you slipped in a ringer here with Killer Moth, so vote accordingly with uh, Lady Dr. Octopus from the Clone Saga. So far, you only have one, so... Listen, the tournament's not over yet. We got a long way to go. That is, it's a tournament, not a sprint. That's right. Uh, While you're over at Longbox Heroes as well, be sure we mentioned it before, but I would be remiss to mention it again. Go sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you those two bonus shows, previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog, um, 1992 is where we're talking. If you're a comic book reader and you remember anything about 1992, we're hitting it all. Image Comics, Death of Superman, the worst Batman ever. We're hitting all of it. (laughs) Yep, I totally agree with most of that. Right. And then the movie uh, show that we do is the films of Mark Pirro, the auteur behind the cult cinema classic, A Polish Vampire in Burbank. Uh, And this week uh, upcoming for the $5 and up folks, we'll be doing the next film. That's that's the way I would describe it too, Joe. Right, right. On this feed at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, at the $5 level, uh, you also get uh, After Dark two days before everyone else. So you can listen to everything in the correct listening order. Head over to our store, shirts and pins and stickers uh, that I could send right out to you. Price to move uh, there. Uh, no sale at the T Public store this week. That sale is next week. We'll remind you there as well. And uh, last but not least, of course, um, you can help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the advertising fee. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, somebody purchased Bleeding Skull, uh, two different books, one about 80s trash horror and the other one about 90s trash horror. And boy, that's right up my alley. Right. You are trash. So that is, I, I, some would say I'm even shoot trash. I would say you're a trash shoot, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, somebody purchased the next two books in the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles, Blackwood Farm and Blood Canticle. Uh, I would call it Blood Critical, but that's me. Okay. All right. Let the writers go home tonight. <laughs> and never uh, come back. Right? That's right. And somebody also purchased the OtterBox Commuter Series case for an iPhone 13 Pro Max or a 12 Pro Max. Um, my wife just got the new fancy phone uh, this weekend, like the one that's not even out that they're going to ship to us next week. Oh, cool. And she got a smartwatch. This isn't weekly purchases, but we had to buy a a new case for her phone that's not even here yet. Right. This isn't weekly weekly purchase either, but I had to buy a new back tail light for the truck. So Oh. I had to buy a new push broom rebristling. <laughs> uh last but not least, uh through the Amazon click through, and I definitely think this was inspired by us. Somebody purchased a box of Kellogg's Little Debbie Cosmic Brownie cereal. Ooh. And this is going to roll right into Todd's Art Attack. Right. Because I would like to thank Fred Chamberlain, who not only tweeted some of his art that I'll let Todd handle the description of, uh, but he uh, also went, uh, he was in the area where that cereal was found on the shelves and picked me up some for my kid. 
Oh, that was nice of him. It absolutely was nice of him. He did not need to do that. I did not put a call out to anyone for it. He said, hey, I'm out in the area. Do you know where it was? I messaged the guy who, or I looked up the tweet of the guy who tweeted at me, and he deleted the tweets. Right. Because they were too spicy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they were too sweet, I guess. Oh. So I sent him a message, but he wasn't up yet, and, F- and Fred was up early, and he's like, oh, it's my mission now. I have to find them. Oh. And uh, I, I doff my John Cena cap to him. Again, he did not need to do that, and uh, that'll be a great surprise for my kid when uh, he gets those delivered to him. Now, um, because, you know, that when that happens, I hope he also gives, like, when he gives you that box, he gives me my gift, which I'm going to talk about now, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, he said wasn't initially planning on buying any of the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez uh, style guide stuff, even though it is stunning. That be that said, couldn't pass this one up. Too much finesse and too much fun. And that is the the Batman, the quintessential Batman. Jose can't draw anything bad. Um, that's fantastic. And Joe, don't let your kid eat his cereal over that when that gets to you to get to me. So if you could take care of that for me. Yep. And that's beautiful. Any of that, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez style guide stuff, uh, from the seventies, I guess, early eighties. Yep. It's like, this is how these characters exist in my head. Yep. It says 82 on the trademark on the bottom of that. Yeah. So, but I'm with you because this is all the stuff that would have been on anything and everything that you would have bought, you know, in the eighties and seventies and whatever. But, that being said, like uh, I was talking with this actually with somebody at the shop. Why? Because I see these style guides go for like, like, because they come like in a uh, ring, uh, three ring binder and they have the pages and everything. And like when somebody who had them back in the day sells them, they go for like hundreds, if not thought like thousands of dollars or whatever. And I'm like, why doesn't DC, like if you made one of these, a replica, blah, 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 whatever binder and reprinted these pages, I would buy one in a heartbeat. Just for sure. Here's a blank check. Fill in whatever you think is fair. So do it, why like, they do it as a, like do it as a coffee table book? Yes, exactly. I I don't understand it, man. So, but yes, beautiful. And also from Annie the Kitty, uh, she uh, sent in a keeping the pageant packing art festive while on brand for a customer's order. And since we're talking about snacks, um, here's a Scooby-Doo with uh, this Valentine's Day. Give Scooby the gift of snacks, which is always great. Uh, once again, nailed uh, Scooby with the heart eyes because it's both Valentine's Day and love snacks. Uh, just really crushed it. So a lucky uh, order person got that. For sure. And if that's you, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, tweet it out when you get it. That's pretty cool, right? Yep. Uh, So that was all we had there. And I guess it's now time to talk about TV shows from last week. Yes. All right. So if you're not caught up on Book of Boba Fett or the second to last episode of Peacemaker, we bid you adieu. Uh, This wraps up episode 594, Longbox Heroes. And, uh... Do you want to take Boba Fett or you want to take uh, Peacemaker, the lead on those? I'm going to take uh, Boba Fett if we could. Absolutely. So uh, Boba Fett pretty much knows that the uh, the Pike Syndicate's coming from. So he decides to stand at the sanctuary, which was the uh, blown up uh, bar that uh, the Twi'lek had. And so he's okay. It's going to be me and the Mandalorian. He ends up sending Fennec to take care of the Pike 
syndicate uh, head honchos, but that's a little bit later. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but he's like, okay, so we're going to put all my men. He puts the Gamorrean guards at the, 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 the shipping place where people come in. He puts the other people like uh, the, the, the Wookiee all around. He's like, okay, so if we see anything, they'll know. So basically Cad Bane comes to Boba and he's like, you know, uh, the Pike syndicate killed your sand people trying to go them out to come into, to be gunned down by snipers. And, and Fennec is like, no, like come back in. Like, we're going to do it on, on their, their, their ground. He's like, okay, he doesn't bite. Um, so he goes back in and then he ends up finding out that, uh, the, the other crime families have decided that we're supposed to say neutral did not. And they end up joining the, the, the Pikes and, they're going to be over, like they're like now we're completely outnumbered, especially since Cad says the f- people from Freedom Town aren't coming because I gunned down Cobb Van. He's like, oh, this is bad. So they end up rallying all like uh, uh, Nubaka and all the other like the I can't think of the, the Vesperados. They're like, we have to make it back. We'll make our stand. Um, and the Pike people show up, and it's, so it's now Mando and Boba, and they're like, what are we going to do? Um, so like, uh, rib Fortuna, AKA Bib Fortuna done right goes, I'll go out and talk to them. Uh, they go, okay, give them my surrender things. He's like, good, I can do this. He goes out, bubbly, hangs them out to dry, which is fantastic and says nothing. He thinks he's going to die, but Boba and Mandalorian use that to, to kind of, uh, distraction. They come out with their jetpacks, killing a bunch of people. Everybody kind of works their way back to the sanctuary. And then the people from Freedom Town coming to avenge Cobb Vanth come and it's a battle and they look like they're winning, but then they send in, send in the droids, these big droids and they end up like, you know, start getting kind of routed. Um, and then they kind of cut away to uh, what's the, the lady's name? Pe- Perry, I think her name is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's her, what's her face? Uh, the actress. She's, yeah. Sudeikis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pelimoto. Pelimoto. I'm sorry, I didn't have it in front of me. She ends up uh, getting a thing that an X-wing is landing, and it's Luke's X-wing with R2D2, but Luke isn't in it. It's Grogu. So uh, we find out that he is de- he decided to take uh, not the lightsaber, but the Beskar onesie. And she's like, okay, well, I know where Mando is. I'll take you to him. She goes, unknowing that she's going into the middle of a battle. She ends up getting there, and they end up systematically, uh, you know, working together and taking down one of the droids, but the other one survives uh, and is wreaking havoc. So Boba goes and gets his Rancor. As Joe predicted, we get to see Boba Fett ride a Rancor down the streets of most whatever it is. And uh, he ends up having a big, like, Keiju battle, which is fantastic, and ends up, like, basically destroying it. But then the Rancor ends up running wild. Um, so uh, Grogu ends up putting the Force whammy on it and puts him to sleep, tuckers himself out. Um, so that's taken care of. And then we have the most important part of the show where Boba and Cad Bane have their throwdown. And they end up ending Star Wars because they end up killing Cad Bane in the duel with his gaffy <laughs> stick. Um, and I was like very sad, but in killing him, a light went on on his chest and sent off a beacon. So I, I'm not going to say I expect to see him back, but I think somebody's coming to avenge him or something's going to happen, or maybe he didn't die. I don't know. I'm hoping, 
but uh, that happened. And along the way, uh, we, we, we made friends, we had fun. And in the end, we find out that Cobb Vanth is okay, everybody. He's in the back to tank in the post credit scene. And one of the guys who uh, helped put, you know, do the mechanical stuff for the Vesperados, he's going to fix up the wound on Cobb Vanth and everything's going to be okay. And Boba Fett won the respect of the town. And he's a good guy, even though he was working with the Empire. Um, I liked the overall uh, show of it, but I still think Boba Fett is the weakest character in his own series. Uh, hard for us to disagree with that. Um, so a couple of things, uh, you know, you gave me my props for being right. I have to give you your props for being right. That Cobb Vanth, or not Cobb Vanth, uh, Cad Bane was the one uh, behind killing off the uh, Tusken Raiders. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, nah, I don't know, maybe not. And then you're like, no, you're a dope. That's exactly what it is. Well, it was more um, the Pikes because the heat, the Pikes tell them that they did it. So I was kind of right and kind of wrong. Right. But go ahead. Um, I like the part where uh, Pelimoto tells uh, Baby Yoda that Grogu is a stupid dame. Yeah. Oh, I popped for that. <laughs> yep. That's right. I wish she only said your mama named you Baby Yoda. I'm going to call you Baby Yoda. <laughs> That's right. Um, the best actor in this. Uh, is David Pasquizi, who plays the Major Domo, as Todd likes to call him, Bib Fortuna done right. Right. Uh, I'm here for the next Star Wars series that's going to be announced, which is the romance that burdens between the Major Domo and Pelimoto, two star-crossed lovers, you know, one from a higher end of society who, you know, knows what it's like to be on the other end of things, and essentially a grease monkey and Amy Sedaris's character. That's your next Star Wars thing, a, a romance. Listen. I'm going to tell you. Now, it's not going to be a series. It's going to be a Valentine's Day special. Oh. You know how, I'm, like, I, they're going to have this Star Wars Life Day? Well, they'll make up some, like, like Valentine's Day-like holiday in Star yeah, Wars. Call it Love Day, but not as stupid. <laughs> right. It's like, here comes Bib Fortuna done right in the Grease Monkey in the Love Day special. Um, so what else, uh, do I have from this? Um, I love seeing, like, all the alien races in, uh, Mos, Mos Espa, where it's, like, all the classic, like, your Pondababas and your Queeways and stuff like that from the original trilogy. Um, I love just seeing, like, multiples of those around, you know, they, listen, they hit that, 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 that whatever inside of me, that, that nostalgia button, you know? Well, I will um, say because I forgot to mention it myself, is that the only people we really lose, because Star Wars is all about people not getting killed while blaster bolts are flying all over the place, is two Gamorrean guards get pushed off a cliff. I was sad yeah. about that. Like, if, like, it's like not a red shirt in Star Wars now, it's a green skin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Now, uh, two other things, of course. One, uh, I have to mention, this is a controversy for us, and then another one that apparently is across the entire world. So, um, you know, Cobb Vanth gets shot. You know, we don't know if he's, uh, you know, if it's touch or go. And then somebody off screen says, hey, everybody, Cobb Vanth's going to be okay. Yeah. And then we get our we get our post credit scene of him in the back to tank by showing that people can come back from a near fatal wounding because of the back to tanks. Mm -hmm. Essentially, everyone, everyone is immortal now in Star Wars. Like, who's I to say, like, whatever that beacon that was in Cad Bane isn't to, like, 
whatever cronies he has is like, oh, bring the back to tank. I've been, I'm dead, you know, and then that'll bring him back, you know. I'm with you because now the back that has become the Lazarus Pit of Star Wars. I'm with you. The only thing that I will say is um, that they did show, and it and it happened in Rogue One. Remember when they show up at the beginning of Rogue One? The guy's like. He's the, he's the whatever guy who's building the Death Star. And he's like, I'm here for your family. You're all coming with me. And the woman hits him in the shoulder. So at least it's like, I do believe like if you get shot in the gut or something like that, even though Fennec got completely rebuilt or whatever, I like to think that there is ways around it, but I'm with you. And the other thing that I had is um, the Wookiee man. Like he, he was getting like just late lit up with blasters and he's like, I'm okay. I'm like limping, but I'm okay. And I'm like, no, like Wookiees aren't like <laughs> bulletproof. Come on. But anyway. So last but not least, I have to ask you what your feelings are on SCAD of the street punks doing a little spin before he shoots his blaster. Okay. I saw it. I thought it was stupid. But only like a little, I was like, ah, I mean, it's a flourish. It's whatever. I was like, to me, I was like, it's pointless. Just get your shot off or whatever. Um, I didn't take, like, it didn't rise to the ranks of like, let me go to social media and, you know, old man yells at cloud kind of a thing. I was like, ah, that's kind of stupid. Oh, look, a rancor is beating up a robot. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where my mind went. Um, so I didn't get like overblown on it. I was just like, eh, it wasn't for me. Let's go. On. I I was a little madder about, uh, you know, I'm a Baniac. So like, I didn't like that. Right. But again, I didn't even notice it at first either. I'm just like, whatever. Like he's a stylish guy and he puts a little flair into the things that he does whatever. Right. Right. And somebody said, if you watch it again, there's like a blaster bolt and it's like, he's kind of trying to dodge like somebody shooting at him. Sure. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I, like I'm not, this isn't the hill I'm going to die on. This isn't the hill I'm almost going to die on and then go get better in a back to tank. That's not what's going to happen. Right. I hope you do get better in the back to tank. Mm. Uh, So let's go into the second to last episode of Peacemaker. Yes. Uh, Episode title, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Fantastic. Of course, I knew you would like that. Um, so obviously, um, our group is on the run specifically, uh, John Cena and Vigilante, um, because the diary that was left, uh, his journal, if you will, kind of ties him to everything that was done. Uh, he denies that it's his, of course. He says that if I did a journal, it wouldn't look like that. I wouldn't be pasting and gluing stuff in there. Um, Abadayo admits, uh, the, to the rest of the group that she was kind of sent there by Amanda Waller to kind of sabotage everything and set uh, Peacemaker up for the fall to kind of clean up the mess from the Suicide Squad movie. Mm-hmm. But now they all are in it together. Um, the cops, which are all possessed by butterflies, come to the apartment where Mern is, and Mern gives um, Harcourt and Abadayo the Iggy to stay outside as the cops are about to come in to attempt to buy them some time. Um, He gets killed. The butterfly comes out and uh, the butterfly that was possessing Mern's name is Ick Nobilok. Thank you, Mr. Uh, I watch everything with subtitles on. (laughs) Yep. 
So uh, while the cops possessed by butterflies are looking for the group, uh, Vigilante and John Cena are being tracked by the White Dragon, a.k.a. John Cena's father, a.k.a. Robert Patrick, and they're tracking him by the sensors in his helmet. Mm -hmm. uh, so John Cena gets the great idea to tie his helmet to a raccoon and let uh, the White Dragon and his cronies chase that around, and then we get to see a bit of uh, how, uh, you know, things maybe didn't go as easy as John Cena would thought, tying his helmet to a raccoon. Mm -hmm. Which was a great bit. Um, also, side bit, again, watching it with the subtitles on, and James Gunn confirmed it. Uh, mem members of the White Dragons group that have speaking lines are credited as White Hood Wanker and Racist Thug, and that was their names in the script as well. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so while this is also going on and Abadayo and Harcourt are trying to figure out what their next plan of attack is, uh, Judo Master steals a car, beats the snot out of two bums at a convenient mart while eating chips a la Hook. And if you know Hook, you know. Uh, he goes and fights them. And we get to see... Uh, that Harcourt don't mess around. She can handle her own, you know? And this right. is the first time that we get to see her, like, really unleash, and it was, like, shocking, you know? Yeah, but, and she... And I like the fact that because, you know, she was... He's judo master, like, whatever. That it took the two of them to take him down, and Hardcore, the whole plan was the rope-a-dope. I was like, yep, that's fantastic. Right, so they get one over on judo master. I have a feeling judo master is going to become part of the group for the final episode uh, this week. Um, while they're headed, oh, so, um, they get rid of the first helmet, John Cena and Vigilante. Yeah. Vigilante goes to, uh, like, throw a grenade at White Dragon and the rest of his crew, but it looks like he doesn't have a good throwing arm, and he gets just as blowed up as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And he goes and steals a car, but from blood loss, he kind of, like, falls off onto the side of the road. Or, no, he gets back into their car. Uh, John Cena and uh, Economos find him. They get into the car. They tell Vigilante, hey, uh, there's a tracker in my helmet. That's how they're able to find us. Turns out Vigilante, trying to help. He's always trying to help. Uh, grab the rest of his helmets, and they're in the trunk. So while John Cena's trying to get away to ditch those, it allows White Dragon and the rest of his group to catch up to them. Um, Economos ends up shooting down most of the racist goons. And we get that big, powerful moment because we got a bit at the beginning where we see how John Cena's brother died. Mm -hmm. And it was John Cena who killed him um, because they were essentially being put in a pit by his dad and all of his, like, drunken hillbilly friends to, like, fight for their amusement. Mm -hmm. And I could see how that could mess a kid up. And that was like a very, like, we saw like bits and pieces of it in flashbacks, but getting to see the full scene here was very powerful, I'd say. Very shocking. Yep. To see, like, you don't usually see kids die in any sort of media anymore. And when you do, it's not as graphic as this. Yep. Um, so, uh, Robert Patrick, White Dragon, is essentially telling John Cena that he's not man enough to shoot him. And then he does. Shoots him right between the eyes. And I was like, whoa, that was shocking. I thought we were going to, you know what I mean? I'm, I was glad that John Cena f stood up to his father, but I can't imagine what that did to the character to be able to have to do that. 
Yes, and then the whole scene was ruined by J- Jimmy Pistol. What do you mean? That's a great scene, and I don't mind. Like this is my problem, and I had the same problem when he did Thor Ragnarok. He so, did do Thor Ragnarok. What? Or no, he, he did. Uh, uh, he did Guardians one and two. Right. What? Because uh, fair enough, but because of him, they're like, we want more of that in Thor Ragnarok, and that they kind of do what they do here. Like he shoots his father, he drops to his knees, and he starts crying. Then Vigilante has to say. Oh, like, oh, you're doing your facial exercises again. And Economos is like, he's crying, you idiot. And I'm like, there's a time and a place. I have I have no problem. I've been on board with this show the whole time with their goofy jokes and this. I'm like, let like you don't even give it a minute to like you don't even give it a beat. And it's like joke. And I'm like, oh man, like this to me, that vigil vigilante right there takes all the emotional. Uh, bite out of that scene. I like it totally like ruins that whole scene. So I will give you uh, your thoughts and feelings in regards to that. However, the vigilante character has been shown throughout the course of this, that he has absolutely no social graces, does not know how to read social cues of any way, shape or form. And while that was a bit, a joke for a laugh, I think for that character, that was the way that character needed to deal with this situation. I I, I get it, but I don't know. I, I get no, I get what you're saying, but I completely disagree with it. I think right. sometimes you have to just let that. Like, if you have a show of ninety five percent that mentality, when you want the emotion, you have to have the emotion. You can't you can't water it down. Right. And I just think that was. Uh, not good. And the other thing that I will say is I like, who's the guy who plays the white dragon? Like the actor, Robert Patrick. Did you see his tweet? No. Uh, where he said, like, I love doing the show, but I have to admit, I hated having to punch eagerly. And I was like, all right, that's a good tweet. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I was going to get to that before I mentioned that, uh, you know, I hope vigilante redeemed himself by being the type of person that, uh, goes pee pee with his pants all the way down his ankles. I, I, I do like that. And I won't even give him grief for, for grabbing all the helmets because he didn't know. Right. Me or you would have done the same thing, not knowing. You know what I mean? I might have asked. No. I, like, he wanted the helmets. I would have brought the helmets. Yeah, I would have asked. So you mentioned uh, Robert Patrick, White Dragon, punched Eagly. So they take Eagly to a vet, and they're holding the vet's uh, hostage. And then there's the bit there where Vigilante wants to kill them. Hardcore, the rest of the group are like saying, like, we don't need to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that don't need to die. I know you look at every problem is just like, we'll kill it. That's the that's the fix. Um, but we see Eagly recouping. We see another emotional scene with John Cena as he's crying over Eagly, thinking that he's lost his best and only friend. And I don't believe in the magic of prayer, but I certainly do believe it in this instance. Because not only did Eagly come back, he gave John Cena another hug and Abadayo saw it. Because she didn't believe. Yes, she didn't believe. And uh, Eagly is like Santa Claus. You have to believe, right? <laughs> yep. And I did like I did like the bit after, like, it was a good, like, five Mississippi of the hug. And John Cena made sure to get a picture of it this time. Yep, he got the selfie, the selfie hug. Right. Uh, so then they get the plan. They're like, okay, well, we need to get to the farm. And stop them, the butterflies, from getting to the cow. 
uh, because now they know that we're after the cow, so they're going to have a teleporter that they're going to teleport it either off-world or somewhere else. So we need to beat them there, and then we find out that not only do they not beat them there, uh, we get to see what the cow actually looks like, and uh, uh, not what I was expecting, but just as uh, equally as disturbing. Okay, I didn't expect it to look like a cow. Yeah. But my problem with it is every time they panned up, when I thought we were done with eyes, there was more eyes. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, we're done with eyes. And then there was more eyes, Joe. I was like, all right, well, that really has to be the last of the eyes. I'm pretty sure. And then they dotted a few more eyes, Joe. I was like, there's way too many eyes on this cow. So it was a creepy looking thing, I will admit. Yep. Um, and again, I get something that big, you know, you really can't do with practical effects. Um, but you could really see the like the CGI stink lines on it. But I'm okay. <laughs> all right. Right. So uh, I'm sad to see this show end. Well, it's not over yet. We have one more episode. We got one more episode. It's the big. It's the big to do. The big dukeroo. Yes. Um, Joe, did you know that hardcore court hardcore is Jimmy Pistol's girlfriend? I did. I thought uh, the bassist told me that the other day. I did not know that. I, I was I just. It was just kind of. I was kind of taken aback. I was like, ah. As, right. a di- as a day one Jimmy Pistol follower, uh, I-, I know these things well ahead of anyone else. And I don't share them with people because, like, you know, I- outside of, you know, before the Garden, like, I know they met during this and everything else like that. But, you know, when there's latest Jimmy Pistol news pre-Guardians of the Galaxy, like, it was only me that cared. Right. Now, he didn't meet her during this, right? Uh, I think it was in between um, Suicide Squad and this. I would disagree with that because I, it says on her Wikipedia page that they've been dating since 2015. Okay. Well, so that's before Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's true because that was filmed like pre-pandemic. All right. Well, you got me. Okay. I Now, Wikipedia is the most trusted source of Jimmy Pistol relationships. So. That's true. But either way. I'm just looking to see what she would have been in that they would have crossed over on, you know? You never know. They might have met at a party, you know? Yeah. Who knows how people meet these days, you know? Right. right. Kids today, they use the swipey diapies on the apps. That's right. All right. So I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's everything. Nice, short, snackable show. Yeah. So we got the finale of Peacemaker next week, and then we get like a week reprieve until we're back into... uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and then that's really all we got until Batman comes out, and then uh, Moon Knight in, May, in uh, March, right? At the end yeah, of March. Yeah, I believe Legends of Tomorrow might cross over one week with uh, Batman. Okay. So, we'll, well, we'll get, to, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but yeah, we have, yeah, we, we're going to have a break, let's put it that way. Yep, for sure. All right, everyone, thank you very much for bearing with us. Thanks for hanging in there with us, listening to episode 594 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see you next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.
You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network. 